As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. But hey, we want you today to go to our website and get the free download, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. I said yesterday, it's okay to keep your brain in your head. Today, people have become so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. I mean, I just cannot believe some of the things I hear people say. I'm thinking, keep your brain in your head. It's all right to have a mind and to use it. And we need to know how to keep our head on straight, even when it feels like we're surrounded by a world that is diverting into a whole bunch of crazy directions. You know what? If you'll just keep your head on straight, you'll come out on the top of the class. Everybody else thinks. Everybody else makes moral mistakes. But when you keep your head on straight, you end up at the top of the class. You float to the top. That's just what happens. So keep your head on straight and order this download. It's enormous. It's 110 pages. Sweetheart, when I look at this, I'm amazed at what we do to provide these free downloads for people that are hungry for the Bible. It's such a gift, so please get yours. And you might as well order the whole series that goes with it. 15 parts, it's based on my regular TV program, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, and it comes with the book. And by the way, there is so much in the book that I could never teach in those 15 programs. For example, there's one chapter in here called Could You Pass a Doctrine Test? Now that may not sound very interesting. I think you would be stunned to read that chapter. Stunned. You know why? Because doctrine is not taught in the church today. People don't know doctrine. They don't know it. People know motivational preaching. That's, that's good. It's good. They know faith preaching. That's good. They know inspirational preaching. That's good. But they don't know doctrine because verse by verse teaching of the Bible is where doctrine comes from. And that's almost like a lost art. It doesn't happen. It's what I do in my regular daily TV program. You know why? Because people need the meat and potatoes of the Word of God. It's what gives you stability. It's what reinforces you. It gives you the ability to discern what is right and wrong. The Bible tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, when you're exercised by truth, you have the ability to discern what's right and wrong. When you're really exercised by truth, it doesn't take you long to recognize what's right and what's wrong because you've got such a core in you that knows truth. Anyway, this chapter is called, Could You Pass a Doctrine Test? Let me tell you, this book, Paul, this book is amazing. It's amazing, and it's amazing that it is a pre-pandemic book. It has nothing to do with a pandemic. It, the title may seem like it has to do with a pandemic. That's just because things are a little crazy around us. This is about how to know exactly where you are and how to discern what's right, not just right for you, what is right, and then how to build your life on it. Well, and Rick, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's not that you just become religious and you get your mind transformed, but look what you're able to do that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We'll know what to do and we'll know what's right. But that's what the Bible gives you. 
Yes. There's nothing better than a good dose of the Bible. <laughs> nothing. And that's why the devil hates it and wants people to drop it. He knows that when you have the Bible as your foundation, you're going to do well in life. He wants to mess you up. And to mess you up, he needs to get you to let loose of your Bible. But let's go back to our subject. Tonight, we're going to return to our anchor verse, which is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul's talking about what's going to happen in society and unfortunately even in the church at the end of the age. And he says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. We saw that speaketh expressly. The word expressly in Greek is ratus. It's from the same word where you get the word rhema. It describes something quickened, something specific. But when it becomes ratus, it's something indisputable, something that cannot be questioned, something that is undeniable, emphatic, categorical. So what the Holy Spirit is describing in this verse is not something that you can speculate that maybe it will or it won't happen. It's ratus. It's indisputable. It's categorical. It is emphatic. This is going to happen. So the Holy Spirit now is lifting His voice, speaking in advance 2,000 years, describing what's going to happen at the very, 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 very end of the church age. And the verse says, Now the Spirit speaks emphatically, categorically, indisputably, that in the latter times, and I told you this word latter, the Greek word husteros, it describes the ultimate, ultimate end of a thing. The ultimate end of a thing. If you come to husteros, you can't go any further. And the word times is the word kairos, which really is the word seasons. So now the Holy Spirit is describing the very last season of the church age. Well, the church age is about 2,000 years. He's describing the very, very end. When you've sailed to the last port and you can't go any further, this is as far as you can go. You'll know you've come to that age because of the next statement. It says, Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Notice it says the faith. The faith in Greek has a definite article which means this is not faith for miracles or faith for healing or faith for finances. It's the faith. It's a definite article. The faith is the clear, sound teaching of Scripture. And basically, it's saying that there's going to be an abandoning of the Bible at the end of the age. You know, it's interesting. I watched over the years how technology has changed our handling of the Scriptures. And when I first began to note it and I would talk about it, people kind of looked at me like I was a fuddy-duddy. But you know what? I was right. I remember once, and I, this must have been 20 years ago, uh, big screen projectors yep. just started showing up in church. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, we were on the front row together, and pe- people started putting verses on the screen. Yep. And I remember you, you turned and around. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. No, it's helpful. It, that in itself is helpful. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember you turning around and saying, this is going to be a problem. People are going to stop bringing their Bibles to church. They did. They stopped bringing their Bibles. Uh, and now very few people actually bring paper, books, Bibles to church. Most of them bring their, you know, their telephones, their iPads. 
which is kind of another way of just bringing nothing. It may be if you read your Bible on your phone, that's wonderful. But I like to read my actually, you know, my paper Bible. But what has happened is a dumbing down of the church has taken place. And it didn't happen on purpose, but it happened. But when you where say- people, people, you hand them a Bible, they don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. They don't even know where the books are because they're accustomed just to punching it in their phone or whatever they're using. They've become biblically illiterate. And at the same time, verse by verse, teaching of the Bible has begun to disappear. Just think to yourself, how many people, for example, on TV are verse by verse teachers of the Bible? You won't think of very many. How many pastors do you know? And I'm not anti-pastor, I am a pastor. But how many pastors do you know that really today go through books of the Bible with their congregation verse by verse, word by word, it's almost non-existent. And when you no longer have that, you begin to be biblically illiterate. You end up preaching on themes or topics or motivational or inspirational, exciting things to build a crowd and make everybody shout hallelujah. But you know what? That's not life. You need meat and potatoes to live. You need the verse by verse teaching of the Bible, what I call teaching people can trust that they can build their lives on. But the Holy Spirit in this verse says at the end of the age that there will be a departing from, the Greek says, hey, pistis, from the explicit teaching of Scripture, a departure from it. Well, nobody woke up and said, we're going to reject the Bible. But very slowly, the way we preach has changed, the way we teach has changed, what we teach has changed, and there has been a departure. So now we have a church, and of course I'm speaking generally, very generally, but generally we have a church that is biblically illiterate. People don't even know what's right and wrong. I'm talking about in the pews. People do not know what is right and wrong. And in fact, if you stand up and speak something straight from the Bible, people will say, well, you're just being unloving and unjudgmental. They don't know it's what the Bible says. They don't know because they haven't heard it taught from the pulpit. And sometimes people say, oh, the body of Christ is such a mess. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's going to land at the foot of preachers, including me, because we are to be God's prophetic voice. And if we're not speaking the Word of God, we have failed, and it just creates a mess in the whole church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for me. Pray for Denise. Pray for Paul. Pray for anybody on TV. Pray that we'll do our job the way we're called to do it. But this verse says there's going to be a departure, a fistomy. By the way, the word fistomy, it's where you get the word for apostasy. It's the same Greek word. It's the apostate church. Well, you know, you think that the apostate church is just going to be people who deny the Bible and they mock the cross. No, not necessarily. Apostate, apostasy, from the Greek word aphistomy, means to distance yourself. Mm-hmm. They have distanced themselves from where they used to be. It's like Denise and I were preaching in a church one day. We were there for a couple nights. Wonderful meetings. And I just was doing in that church what I do, teaching verse by verse. And I don't just teach verse by verse, I teach word by word. And the last night we were sitting in the pastor's office after the service and he was just like looking at me. I thought, why is he looking at me like that? And he said, 
may I say something to you? I said, sure. He said, you're such a dinosaur. I said, I'm a dinosaur? I don't know what that meant. So I said, can you tell me what that means? He said, it's like you're a perfect preservation of what we used to be and what we used to do. He said, we, we're not like you anymore. We've kind of moved on. But you're perfectly preserved teaching the Bible the way we used to. That's the first time in my life I was happy to be called a dinosaur. <laughs> they didn't intentionally change. Media changes them. Technology changes them. They just get caught up in the whirlwind of change and there's been a departure. And for you to stick with truth, you have to be very intentional. You have to be very intentional. For example, I intentionally ask the top members of my team every day, did you read your Bible? We're very intentional about truth in this ministry. Very intentional about it. And they ask me. When I ask the question, they look at me and say, did you read yours? We hold each other to a level of accountability because there's nothing more important than the scriptures. It is the most important thing. It's what it is. Denise? You know, Jesus cares and he sees what we cling to. And I was thinking about that. It's an old hymn and it's called the old rugged cross. And it says, I will cling to the old cling. rugged cross where my trophies at last I lay down. It, it was, it, it's doctrine. It's something you can build your life on. And, and as Rick said, it's intentional mm -hmm. that we cling to, to the things of the scripture, to the old rugged cross, that we think about what he did on the cross, that we think about what happened to him before he went to the cross, how he was betrayed and he gave thanks and he laid his life down. There's so much to gain from him. I want to say something about songs because I think that's an, what you just said is important. You know, when, we, when Denise and I were growing up, we both grew up in the Baptist church. Every single song we sang taught doc doctrine. Mm -hmm. Every single song. Songs build faith. They build faith. They were filled with Bible teaching. You could get saved. You could learn the Bible with the songs that we sang. Mm -hmm. And today, songs are very different. They're very feely gooey, ooey, and they're wonderful. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. In a, in a certain way, they're a lot better than they used to be. But the, men, the mentality change is what I'm saying. When we were young, we understood truth is the issue. We sing it. We say it. We preach it. We confess it. We did everything we could to get it into us. The Word of God is so important. Mm -hmm. And Denise, really, who you and I are today, it's to a great degree, it's because of what we got when we were growing up in that church. Truth was just pounded into us. It made us the people that we are today. Paul? I understand the desire to be relevant. Of course. To be contemporary. I want to be to relevant. To be interesting. To be with the times. I understand all that. But at the same time, the church is supposed to preserve the truth. So it, we're, we're, we're in a difficult position. 
as Christians. Now, it's, it's easy to say the church and get distracted by, by something as big as the church, the universal church, or even your local church. It's very easy to get distracted by something as big as the church, but it, it has to do with you too. You want to be relevant. You want to be contemporary, but at the same time, you have to preserve the truth. But Paul, nobody was more relevant than Jesus. Yes. He could speak to fishermen, businessmen, bankers, politicians. He was absolutely relevant. But in the process of being relevant, he didn't relinquish truth. Yes. I want to read a verse because you said our job is to preserve the truth. Go yes. to Jude. Okay. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Look at this. Jude is writing and he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. So Jude, first thing he says is the letter that I'm, you're about to read is not what I intended to write. I intended to write you a letter about salvation. Mm -hmm. But something changed his mind. He says, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. When he says it was needful, the Greek word anagke means I found it urgently necessary. He heard something that upset him. And rather than write a beautiful letter about salvation, he knew he needed to hit something and hit it hard. And he said, you need to contend for the faith. Guess what? The word faith has a definite article. The teaching of the Bible. Mm -hmm. The word contend, earnestly contend, the Greek word epagonizomai. The word epi means over. The word agony, agonizomai, to agonize over. You need to agonize over the Word of God. You need to agonize in your fighting for it, your defense of it, your preservation of it. And then he goes on to say, which was once delivered unto the saints. The word once, the Greek word hapax, means once and for all completed, no additions, no amendments, no alterations ever needed. Now what's happening today is people are trying to amend it. People are trying to alter it. They're even saying there's certain sections of it that you shouldn't read. And in some countries today, if you read certain sections of the Bible, you'll be prosecuted. They're trying, they're trying to make it politically correct. The Bible is not politically correct. It is not. It's just not. That's okay. It's the Word of God. God's not politically correct. Jesus was never politically correct, but He was relevant. And this verse says that we are to agonize over and defend the faith that was hapex once and for all in a completed state delivered to the saints. The word delivered is the Greek word paradidomai. The word paradidomai is where you get the word for a tradition. Well, let's talk about a tradition. If you don't give traditions to your kids, they won't have them. They won't have any traditions. Denise and I have been guilty of this on several levels because we left the United States and we lost a lot of traditions. I haven't been living in America for decades, for example. Where we live in the world, they don't celebrate Christmas like you celebrate it. They don't have Fourth of July. They don't have Thanksgiving. They don't have those traditions. Well, through the years, you can forget traditions. Passing the tradition on has to be deliberate. And this verse is really saying we have to be very deliberate in passing truth to others the way that it was given to us. Mm -hmm. Not to alter it, not to change it, 
that just like you're sticky about the way you practice Christmas and very picky about the way that you're going to celebrate Thanksgiving and when you show up and what you eat and you have to have cranberries, and it's, that's the way we always did it. That's the way we are to be with the Word of God. The Word of God is the Word of God. We've got to pass it on in its most original form. That is the assignment that has been entrusted to us. But when Jude wrote that, you know why Jude wrote his letter? Because he read Peter's. And when he read Peter's letters, chapter 2 was so explicit about people smuggling error into the church, disguising error to look like truth, it upset James so much that James says, I'm scrapping my plans. I have to, I have to address this too. I was going to write a really pretty letter about salvation, but I, I just laying that aside, I have to urgently address the real issue. We have to contend over the faith because the faith was under assault. He said, we've got to keep it in its original form. Mm-hmm. Paul. Mm. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 20, 42 says, they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Apostles' doctrine. Where do we find the apostles' doctrine today? In the New Testament. We have to stick steadfast to the apostles' doctrine. And this is the best place to find it in its most original form. And you know what? Anybody who thinks the Bible is boring, they haven't heard the Bible taught. Or read it. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, the, I've been teaching the Bible my whole life. I have never been more amazed by the Bible than I am right now, Denise. Absolutely. It, this book is amazing. What The Word of God is amazing. Because... Because it's true. I mean, when it says you're a child of God, if you really think about that, I'm a child. I'm a child of God. I'm his child. Mm. But that's the truth. We're out of time. This has been so good to be with you. I want you to be sure to go to the website and make sure you get the free download, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. And I'd love to hear your comments, what you think about Home Group tonight, and let us know how to pray for you. And we'll be back tomorrow night. We're going to pick up right here. Sleep well. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.